0: I had a complaint last week when we did the Lord's Prayer that uh, some of you uh, said you couldn't understand it. Um, It was, you know, King James, Old English. So uh, we're going to do it again. Uh, As a matter of fact, we're going to ask Al Barone who's going to come up and he's going to lead it. And hopefully this is something you can uh, understand better.
1: Okay, good morning, everybody. <laughs> we're gonna try this in pidgin, okay? For all you guys that live on the ever side, you like to talk pigeon over here. This side, I don't know. It's all <laughs> proper English, because we get University of Hawaii over here. Anyway, starting from verse 9. So pray like this. God, you are a father. You stay inside the sky. You like all the people know for sure how you stay. And that you stay good and special. And we like them give you plenty of respect. We like you come. king for everybody now. We like everybody make just like you. Over here inside the world, just like the angel guys up inside the sky make just like you like. Give us the food we need for today and every day. Him our shame and let us go for all the kind bad stuff we do to you. Just so like us guys let the other guys go already and we no stay hoo-hoo with them. For all the kind bad stuff they do to us, let us get chance for no do bad kind stuff. For take us out of there so the bad guy no can hurt us cause you are king, you get the real power and you stay awesome forever. That's it. <laughs>
0: So I hope that's clearer for some of you, um, I struggle a little bit. Well, you know, we've read the Lord's Prayer uh, in different ways the last couple weeks, and, and we're going to talk about it specifically today. And um, my wife told me to make sure I do this, welcome to all of our online guests. So if you're watching online, um, hi, thank you for being here with us. And you can go, the sermon notes um, are usually on the home page, so you can scroll down and get those if, you're, if you are watching online. But I also wanted to let you know, like um, in January of last year, I preached a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. It's not exactly what we're gonna be talking about today, but it will be close, and I encourage you to uh, go listen to that in our archives if you, if you want um, to hear more. Well, we're talking about, um, you know, what does it mean to be a healthy church? And a healthy church is disciples. And so then we want to know, what does it mean to be a disciple? And so Jesus is spending this time on the Sermon on the Mount telling us what it means to be a disciple. Um, we know basically disciple means student or follower of Jesus, but it's more than that. And so we've talked about different things that of how disciples think, what they do. And last week, we started talking about that disciples, that they pray. And we talked about how they pray, why they pray. And we, you know, Jesus said, they don't just say empty words. They just don't, you know, repeat stuff. But it's more than not just, you know, avoiding repeating. It also that we never pray anything that we don't mean. Everything we say, we believe we understand so if we are praying the lord's prayer in king james or in pidgin english if we don't really know what we're saying what's the point we're just saying words we could just make any sound and it wouldn't matter because it would have the same meaning to us if we don't know what we're saying so jesus has spent this time saying you know First of all, we don't pray for show, we don't pray for our own personal holiness, and we don't don't pray just to pray. As we talked about last week, we sometimes complicate prayer. Prayer is simply, we're talking to God, and we're listening for how God would respond. And, you know, kind of concluded by saying, you know, our prayer, you know, how we pray, why we pray, says something about our relationship to God today I want to say that that's true but what's also true is that what we pray for what we pray for also reflects our relationship to God so it's not just the fact that we do pray for the right reasons that we're not praying out of uh, selfishness or to draw attention to ourselves or just out of ritual but it's what we actually pray for. Because when we pray, we're telling God things. We're telling God uh, what we see, how, how, what we interpret. We, we're telling God what we, what we want, what we believe we need. And what should happen if I'm a disciple and I'm growing as a Christian is that should change over time. That should change over time. Just like in any relationship. Any relationship, as people get to know one another, should change over time. Hopefully, this is true for you, that the relationship those of you have with your children, you you had children, they were infants, babies, toddlers, kept growing up. Some of you, they're now adults. Hopefully, that relationship has changed over time. Hopefully, what you talk about has changed all the time. Hopefully, you're not saying goo goo gaga to a 30 year old. That would just be weird. Hopefully, they're not just coming in and, you know, like they maybe did when they were two or three and saying, you know, I want milk, right? And they're only thinking about, you know, what you give to them. Hopefully that's changed. Hopefully the relationship is richer and it's better. And what you talk about and think about and what you give and receive from one another has grown. Well, same thing should happen in our relationship with with God. When When we first become Christians, we are like babies. And what do we pray for? We pray for what babies pray for. We pray for what makes us scared to not make us scared. We pray for things we don't have that we need, that that we want. We pray for when we're uncomfortable or when we're hurting, that that would be taken away. And that's what we pray for. It's okay, that's what we should pray for. But hopefully, if you've been a Christian and a disciple of Christ for any period of time, your relationship has grown. And that's not all you pray for. In fact, That doesn't dominate your prayer life. Something else. Because what we want to know is, what we want to know is that if our prayer reflects my relationship to God, then it means that I understand God more, I know God more, which means I want to pray for not what I want, but I want to pray for what He wants. I want to pray for His vision. That's what I want. We've got to get there. Some of us are there already. Some of us are kind of in between. Some of us, that's somewhere in the future. But we need to understand that the development of our prayer life reflects our maturity in Christ. You see, we, we don't like the idea of prayer in our world because prayer is the acknowledgement that there's, that there's something or someone more powerful than us. And our world is full of people who do not want any ruler, any Lord, but themselves. They don't want to, to pray except when they're in trouble. Then, hey, superpower, come save me. And then once you save me, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And we, we sometimes get the idea that, you know, here we are, um, we're, we're on a boat, we slip, we fall off the boat, we're out in the middle of the ocean, we need someone to save us. So we think like, okay, if someone saved us, if someone on the boat, lifeguard, captain, somebody saved us, and then they, they got us on board, we would be grateful, thank you for saving me, but we would be kind of weirded out if they then started telling us what to do. In fact, at some point in time we'd be like, okay, you saved me, thank you, leave me alone, right? That's kind of the wrong picture because that sounds like an like a intrusive God. You know, sure, I'll save you, but now I'm going to tell you what to do. I think the picture shouldn't be us on a boat falling in the ocean. I think the picture should be more like we're this little kid at the pool, and we don't listen to the rules. And the rules say, don't run. Don't go in the deep end if you don't know how to swim. We have all these rules, and we don't care about the rules. Oh, we don't just jump into the deep end right away. You know, we we kind of, you know, stay on the side, stick our feet in, run around here and there, but eventually, we're either going to outright disobey the rules, jump in, even though we don't don't know how to swim, or we're going to be running around so much disobeying the rules that we fall in. Somebody saves us. And that somebody loves us so much that they're not going to just pick us up and put us over here and then say, okay, see you later, and walk away. Think about that. Think of that happened to your kid. You know, when your kid was small, they're at the pool, three, four, five years old, you didn't see them. They fell in the pool. Somebody pulls them out, puts them on the side, walks away, doesn't tell you, doesn't do anything doesn't make sure the kid is safe, you would think, well, I'm kind of grateful, but now I'm kind of concerned. God doesn't save us just to leave us to go right back to the same thing that got us in trouble in the first place. But our world just wants to be saved. It doesn't want a Lord. And so here Jesus is. He's teaching what it means to be a disciple. And he's getting to this part on prayer. And and then he says, pray like this. Pray like this. Now, people misunderstand this. They think that Jesus is saying, pray exactly these words. And he's not. If If he wanted to say, pray exactly these words, he could have said that. Instead, he says, pray like this. Pray like this. And by the way, if you want to be literal and say, pray like this, then we need to be praying this in either Aramaic or Greek, right? Because Jesus didn't say this in English. So before we get too caught up in these words being somehow magical, they're not. Just by saying these words, it doesn't, doesn't do anything, And if you really believe that, then you need to go learn a couple languages. But what Jesus is saying is, this is what you pray for. A general structure of your prayer. And this is what the content should be. So what does he say? He says, and I'm reading from English Standard. So you've got three versions of the Lord's Prayer in two two sermons But if you do not forgive others in their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So what does Jesus say? What do disciples pray for? Well, the first thing is not so much what they pray for, but it's why they pray. They pray, disciples pray, to glorify God. We want God to be honored. That's why we pray. We don't pray, you know, just to, because we have needs or we're in trouble. We pray so that in our situations, above all, God would be glorified. If I have needs, if I'm in a tough situation, my health, finances, relationships, first and foremost, I want God to be glorified. And that's why we start our prayers by addressing God. And that's why Jesus starts this prayer by saying, hallowed be your name. He's setting the context for the whole prayer. I am praying to you, Holy Father. I want you to be glorified. We don't like to do this. And one of the reasons we don't like to do this is because when we do this it does something to us right up front you see part of the problem with our problems is that our problems make us focus on our self and our problems and they make our world smaller and smaller and smaller have you ever heard this phrase "first uh, first world problem you know, that's a phrase that's used. You know, we in the United States live in the first world. You know, and we have like first world problems, things that are really problems to us. But the rest of the world, especially the third and fourth world, wishes they had these problems. We wish they would just go away. You know, like not enough parking at Christmas time complaining about no parking at the mall. It's a first world problem. People in the fourth world, they're not thinking like that. People in the third world, they're not, they're not sitting there thinking, this is the worst thing. And you know, we can't help it. It's where we live, it's how we are. If someone asks, how was your day? Oh, my day was so terrible. Traffic was bad, you know? I went to Starbucks, they got my order wrong. Um, you know, I went to, you know, shopping and that that clerk just took forever to, you know, ring me up. All oh, first world problems. You know, what are you struggling with? Oh, you know, it's such a, it's a hard decision, you know, should I You know, should I stay at my job or should I take this new job? Or, you know, my kid got accepted into, you know, two different schools. Which one should they go to? Again, these are real problems. I'm not belittling the problems. When they happen to me, I think they're problems. But we have to understand these are first world problems. And so when we get caught up in that, it makes our world smaller and smaller and smaller. And when our world gets smaller, our problems actually look bigger. They're not bigger. They just look bigger. Um, If you got tired of, like, you know, you got tired of listening to me and you just kind of wanted to stay in the room, you know, you could maybe... If you sit far enough back, you could go like this. Oh, you're not here anymore. Don't see you, (laughs) right? Where's Nora? She disappeared, right? You could do that. You could even really get mean and like want me to stop and go, ah, and crush you, right? It's all perspective, right? Things that they they, they, they they change in size depending on our perspective. But when we start our prayer with, hallowed be your name. I'm gonna bring these problems to you, but you know what I want most of all is that you be glorified? It takes the focus off of us. It helps us to think that there's more than a first world. It helps us to think that there's more than a world. It helps us to think that there's more than a universe. And it's not that my problems aren't important it's just that my approach to them has been that it's all somehow about me. We pray to glorify God. And when we glorify God, we want to, we want to find the answer, not the answer that we want. We want the answer that will glorify God. And then he says... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what disciples pray for. Disciples pray that God's kingdom will come. Disciples pray that that God's will will be perfectly executed on this earth. What does that mean to us when we come to him because we have needs or problems or, or wishes or Whatever that we come to pray for him. Well, it means that when we pray, we always pray in the context of, not just, oh, if it be your will, because see, that's kind of, that's kind of tough. Like, like if I'm sitting there praying, you know, at a in a hospital room, and there's a two-year-old who who's you know, could die at any moment, unless. You know, some miracle happens, and I say, well, God, if it be your will, heal them. Okay, okay, that's good, but at the same time, I'm like, if I'm the parent, I might say, why wouldn't it be his will? Why would it could ever conceivably be that God would will that this baby die? So I, I don't like just to say, Your will be done. Unless by that I mean this, which is that God's kingdom would advance. His will is the advancement of His kingdom. And so if I pray, my prayer should be God, what is going to help advance your kingdom? If somehow in your will and somehow in your kingdom, which I cannot understand, this baby dying is going to advance your kingdom, okay, God, help me to see it because it's really hard. But I will accept it. If I'm having to, to choose whether to send my kid to Punahou or Iolani, same thing. Not which one is offering the most money, which one has the best opportunities. Which one of these is going to help advance your kingdom? You know why we don't like to ask those questions? Because they often lead us to two places we don't want to go. Either we already want one option rather than the other And sometimes God is saying, Neither one. Sometimes God is saying, Hey, glad you finally decided to talk to me. Because you've been looking for a house and you've been going on realtor.com and you got a realtor, you've been looking through things, you even visited a few, dropped in some open houses. But you never talked to me about it. You never asked me. You didn't ask me to get involved at any point. Now you are because you're trying to decide. If you think God's going to say, well, thank you. Thank you for doing all the hard work. Because, you know, it would have just been too confusing for me, God, to try to sort through thousands of listings. Thank you for narrowing it down for me. I don't think so. We don't want to hear the answer, none of those, or start all over, but this time include me and ask this question. What's going to help advance the kingdom? Certain things we just... We just don't do. We don't, we don't want to hear from God. But he says, right at the front, your kingdom come, your will be done. It should always be our prayer. We should never want God to do anything that would hinder his kingdom work, that would, that would, Make it harder for, for me or you to prepare to do our part in his kingdom. It should always be our prayer. That's what disciples pray for. It's how we disciple. We just don't run into the room saying, you know, give me this, give me that. Thankfully, God is like a good parent, you know, um, who, you know, if we let kids eat whatever they wanted to eat from when they're two years old? Probably wouldn't be a very good parent. Probably by the time your kid is maybe five or six, they don't have any more teeth, because they're all rotted out. They, uh, you know, they're addicted to sugar, like some kind of crackhead, you know, wanting the next fix all the time. More sugar, more sugar, more sugar. Right? But no, we, we don't do that. And fortunately, God doesn't give us everything we ask for. I'm very glad. And in fact, you shouldn't take it as a sign of God's favor upon you when you get something you prayed for and that something didn't help you advance his kingdom. Why should we want anything? If we're his followers... Why should we want anything that would make it harder to advance his kingdom? That's what we pray for. We pray for the advancement of God's kingdom. We pray that we know what our part is and that we're being prepared. You see, it's not until after those two lines that he finally gets to this Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And immediately people want to see, like, see, look, he's praying for he's, praying for needs. But if we actually understand this in the context, and we're going to talk about this again when we get to the end of Matthew 6, when we get down to the kind of famous verse that you know, it's like, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The disciple is praying for needs but it's all in this context is I'm praying for the needs so that your kingdom might come. I'm not praying for needs because, just simply because I'm hungry. Yes, I'm hungry. But the reason I don't want to be hungry is so that I have the energy to go help advance your kingdom. That's what disciples do. Disciples want needs met so that they can go and advance the kingdom. Not needs met, just to have needs met. And it doesn't matter what the needs are. They could be physical, they could be emotional, they could be spiritual. But then he says, forgive us our debts as we, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so, right at the heart of what he's talking about. You know, he's saying, yeah, you pray that you, are, you, you, you receive what you need, and then you pray that you'd be forgiven. And in this case, he's saying debts, but he's using it in a kind of literal and figurative sense. But he's saying forgive. He says forgive. Forgive as we also have forgiven our debtors. Why is that there? Why is that there in the central part of this? And I think it's there because what we know from studying more about what it means to be in the kingdom is that one of the, the primary characteristics of being in the kingdom is grace. It is grace. It is love. It is not human love. It is not empty grace. It's not cheap grace. But it is grace, and we need to pray for that. He, you know, people look at this and they think like, "Well, this says that, um, you know, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you." That's what it says. That's what it says. We think about this in the wrong way. We think about this individualistically, like it's some kind of magic, like, oh, I better go forgive someone. But understand, you cannot really forgive someone if you're only forgiving them so that you get something in return. Like if I had a rich uncle who died and, and in, his, in his will, he says, I'm going to leave you you know, my entire estate, but you need to go and you need to forgive. You need to forgive my son who offended you. Well, of course, I could go and forgive him, sort of. I could say... I forgive you, right? I could write a heartfelt note. But have I really forgiven them? The only way I could really know if I've really forgiven them is if, is if there, was, there were no $10 million. There were no estate. So can you really forgive just so that you can get God's forgiveness? No. It's really not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this, what should should characterize you, what should typify you, if you're truly my child, if you're truly my disciple, you have inside of you this love and this grace that you forgive, and you will forgive. And you don't forgive just so that you can be forgiven. But understand this, if you have an unforgiving spirit, If you have an unforgiving spirit, you need to ask yourself this question. Do I really have God's love in my life? And if I don't have God's love in my life, do I really have his spirit? And if I don't have his spirit, am I really a disciple? Am I really a follower of Christ? See, if I am, forgiveness Forgiveness should be something that I do, and it's something that I don't have to be forced to do. I don't have to be tricked into doing. It's part of who I am. Oh, it may take me a while to get there, but I will get there. This isn't talking about snap forgiveness. I did a, when I was working as a journalist, I did a story on a, on, one of the, um, the first uh, school shootings. It was back in the 90s in um, West Paducah, Kentucky. And I did a story on that with um, after the fact, several years after the fact. And I, uh, I was interviewing the mother of one of the, one of the girls who was killed. And, you know, she said, you know, There's all these things that were happening when the shooting took place, and there were all these people, um, you know, coming into town, news, and, and, you know, Christians, churches, wanting to help. Because it was the first one. Like, now it happens so often, we don't think about it the same way when the first one happened. But I remember very well-meaning Christians were, were telling her, how important it is to forgive, you know, and this was like within just a few days of it happening. How important it is to forgive. You got to forgive, you know, because if you don't forgive, it's going to be bitterness inside of you. You're going to hold on to it. It's going to make your life, you know, and all this other stuff. And I never forget what she said. She said, all of those people, asking me to forgive, didn't spend Christmas at the cemetery. All of those people telling me, forgive, 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 they didn't spend Christmas at the cemetery looking at the gravestone of your 14-year-old daughter. Understand, I'm not talking about forgiveness like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, or you're forgiven. I'm not talking about that. It sometimes takes us a while to get there. But as Christians, as disciples, we always go there. We always keep walking in that direction. You see, we receive this abundant grace from God and the evidence that we've really received it is that we cannot help but give it away. And that's why I tell you that a healthy church and even a healthy disciple, one of the key marks is, how quickly do you work towards reconciliation? If there's a problem, if there's a conflict, whether you caused it or someone else caused it, how quickly do you work towards reconciliation? And I want you to understand this. This is more than just a, a mark of the church. I think it's, it's evidence of the health of a church or the life of the church. that the the life of the church is not just us as human beings, but God is doing something in us, because this is really hard to do. But I want you to understand this. If we do not have a forgiving, reconciling spirit, God will not, not might not, might not sort of, but in a limited way, he will not bless this church. He will not bless this church. You hold on to stuff. You hold grudges. You don't want to repair relationships. And you're a part of this church. You are literally killing the church. And don't give me platitudes like, oh, Jesus, you know, said that the the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Sure, gates of hell won't. But your unforgiving heart will. Will. why i keep talking about it because it's so important it's so important so disciples they pray they pray for their needs but they pray for their needs so that they might fulfill their kingdom role they forgive they ask for forgiveness because that's that's primary to who we are in christ and then it says we need to be protected from evil. I hope you understand, just from the Lord's Prayer alone, you should never have a Disneyland version of Christianity. You should never think that Christianity is you become a Christian and then your life goes really swell afterwards. No. If your life is really swell, then we shouldn't be praying like this. We should be praying like, our Father in heaven gee golly thank you so much for all the wonderful blessings you poured out on me today the sun was shining exactly when it needed to just enough rain fell on my garden thank you so much my children love me my spouse loves me we were just skipping through the meadow today thinking about what a wonderful creation you made see you later amen Well, if it's Disneyland Christianity, sure. Real Christianity, there's debts and debtors, there's needs, there's temptation, and there's evil. They're inevitable. And all of it works against God's kingdom. When we pray, what we're admitting is, that they're there, but we're also admitting that we cannot do it on our own. We need each other and we need God. But I want you to understand, I want you to understand, because in the world today, there's a bigger and bigger push, especially among Christians, to get rid of the word sin and get rid of the word evil. We only want to talk about love, 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 love you cannot talk about God's love unless you also are willing to embrace his holiness. This is the big danger facing the the future of the church. I think the churches in America is gonna come to this place where where they're gonna make this compromise and it's already being made where we, you know, talking about sin and especially specific sins, it's too offensive. So we'll stop talking about that. We'll only talk about love, 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 love. And we're gonna leave the holiness behind. It's a danger. We have to be careful. There's a reason we need to be protected from temptation. And there's a reason we need to be delivered from evil. So what do we see? Well, we see that disciples' prayers reflect their priorities. What we pray for reveals what we value. The reason we don't pray for the kingdom to come more is because a lot of us don't understand what the kingdom is, and we need to understand it. And some of us understand what the kingdom is, but we really don't want it. But when you're a disciple, a growing disciple, and you know what God's kingdom is, You long for it. You look and you hope and you pray for the day that his kingdom will come in full. But we get distracted and we get caught up in other things. And we also have been told that we are also called to help advance the kingdom even now and so when we pray if we really understand what the kingdom is we really want it then we pray that that we will do whatever God has for us to do and that we will not work against God's kingdom that our desire is to do his will his way which means we do everything from that dual sense of love and holiness. We cannot have just one. The world has already seen a church that's full of holiness without love. And the world has seen a church full of love without holiness. That's not what the world needs. And it's hard because the world thinks it knows what it needs. Remember, my first point is the world doesn't want a ruler. The world already knows better than God. They know better than his word. They don't want to hear there's any other answer than the answers they've come to. And we're trying to say, no, you cannot have one without the other. They both lead to disaster. And we need to work. We need to work to the advancement of God's holy Holy, loving kingdom. So quickly, how can we pray? I shared this with you a year ago. I'm going to do it again here at the end. How to pray the kingdom way. So you want to start praying the kingdom way? Here's how. One, you pray that God's kingdom will advance throughout the world for his glory. I've already talked about that. Second, you pray that God will show us our church's part in his plan. Every local church has a part. Every Christian has a part. So we need to keep praying, God, what is our part? Third, you pray that God will equip our church to do its part. We don't want God just to show us, we want him to equip us to get ready to advance his kingdom. And then you pray that God will show you your part. What is your part in his plan? And then you pray that God will equip you to do your part. And we pray. We pray finally that God will help us be a church that brings glory to him in how we love each other and minister together as we advance his kingdom. I hope in the the months ahead and if you want to race ahead just go ahead and study and read we understand more about what God's kingdom on earth looks like and I hope that as you 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 see that that, that it connects that it is exactly what our world needs and it is exactly what we should devote our lives to and that begins with us praying